It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Ramil, and you've probably forgotten that because it's been a while since I've had an episode of Locked On Heat, but thank you so much for tuning in once again. Let me explain what happened uh, over the weekend. My family and I traveled down to Miami. I live in Gainesville, if you haven't uh, heard me mention it before, but I live in Gainesville, Florida. Drove down to Miami to celebrate my son's first birthday party with family and uh, went to cover the Heat Pelicans game Saturday night and then spent Sunday celebrating his birthday and then drove back to Gainesville Monday and unfortunately left my microphone in town was busy with the game, was busy with family, was busy with everything that happens as a result of traveling. Uh, You think it's it's simple. It's only five hours away. It's not that big a deal. But when you have a one-year-old, for our listeners, my listeners who are traveling with children, it's uh, much more complicated than I would have expected. You're practically bringing a a house worth of supplies and toys, uh, clothes, everything. And so it gets a little complicated. And one of the things that I left behind was my microphone, which was set up to record a podcast Saturday night after the Pelicans game. And unfortunately, I was uh, exhausted after arriving in the America Airlines Arena at 1045 or so to cover shoot around to talk to Heat players and then uh, milling about downtown waiting for the game to start. By the time I left the arena at almost 1130, well, I was pretty exhausted and I did not get around to recording the podcast so apologies for everything, and, and thank you for sticking around and, and, uh, and for listening today. But I will talk about that Pelicans game a little bit, just because it was the most recent Miami win, and it does improve Miami's overall record to 9-3. and three. But I'll also be taking some questions for the mailbag, not just in the second segment, but in the third one as well. So uh, let's get right into that. The Pelicans, obviously, not a pretty game. Um, I don't know if uh, you got that sense watching the game at home. Or if you were at the American Airlines Arena alongside me. But it was an ugly game. It was uh, a game where the Pelicans were missing what seemed like half their roster. Uh, a number of players were injured. J.J. Redick, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. It just seemed like all their Lonzo Ball was out. Not to mention the star attraction Zion Williamson. Uh, you know, he was... He was the the attraction that was supposed to draw crowds in on a Saturday night. It was supposed to be what Heat staff consider a premium game. 
where it brings everybody out because everybody wants to see what Zion was like. And unfortunately, he's hurt. But so was the rest of the roster. So it was a, a scrappy bunch that was kind of strapped together there in order to try and play the, the Heat. Uh, Derek Favors, who was probably their m- most recognizable name short of Drew Holiday, was also hurt at some point during the game. And so you think this roster is kind of falling apart. There's no way that they could really uh, you know, take it to Miami. Uh, Miami should be able to respond pretty easily. That was not the case. Um, I, I don't think it was any kind of mental lapse on Miami's part. Uh, this doesn't seem with with Jimmy Butler leading the charge here with a fully, well, a mostly healthy roster too. They were without Justice Winslow. They were also without Goran Dragic, who was a late minute scratch there because of illness. They were also without Derek Jones Jr. and of course uh, Deion Waiters as well. But you know, you would think that Miami would be able to handle them pretty easily, but the Pelicans really played pretty scrappily. They they tried their hardest. They were challenging everything. They made things very difficult. Uh, Miami only committed six fouls in the game. Uh, Eric Spolstra after the game spoke to the fact that both teams were were pretty. You know, there was a pretty lenient whistle there. They were letting him play. Uh, and Miami got called for a lot of dribbling infractions, something that was a little unusual. A lot of carrying the ball, a lot of turnovers in that sense. Um, Jimmy Butler got called for a, a late-game turnover, inbounding the ball. Pretty unusual stuff. But the, the the whole game itself was kind of this slow, weird pace. And, and you, you can understand it from the Pelican side because... Um, they normally play very quickly, but with so much, so many of their players gone, uh, it, it really changed the way that they approach the game. They still tried to play quickly, but they just don't have the, the horses, the personnel to really keep that up for very long. But either way, Miami just seemed a little uncomfortable. They weren't able to get into their really pass-happy offense that we've seen over the course of the regular season. They did finish with 25 assists on 44 made field goals. So pretty consistent, but a little lower than what we've seen for, for the most part, particularly in wins. Either way, Miami was really... Uh, you know, they were in, in for a fight there late in the game, and then eventually they were able to pull away with a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. They got some big buckets and some good defense down to stretch, and they were able to win a game, again, by 15 points. So a, a win is a win. And against bad teams, even teams that are hurt, nobody's going to find any kind of reason or excuses or anything like that. If you recall the 27-game win streak during Miami's Big Three era a few years ago, uh, you know, nobody was going to say, oh, well, you know, we want the Heat to, to continue winning a lot of games, so let, let's make sure that we, we don't try our hardest. You know, that, that does not, that's not how it works. Um, these guys that do play, uh, Frank Jackson, uh, you know, Etwan Moore, Kendrick Williams, whoever was on that Pelicans roster, they were going to try their hardest. They're trying to compete for, you know, a potential roster spot. They're trying to compete for money. They're, this is their livelihood, and they, they need to prove it. If it's one big game against Miami in November that maybe nobody else will remember, well, you can bet there's probably a general manager or front office staff person that is looking at this game and saying, you know what, I want to sign this person to a long-term contract if they have a big game. And, and look, rookie Nikhil Alexander-Walker had 27 points, 10 of 18 from the field, 6 of 9 from three-point range. He hasn't had a game like that so far this year. He probably won't have another game like that at any point, but he he, he really showed out against the Heat. And, and that's impressive considering the fact that Heat, they, you know, Miami defends the three-point line as well as they do. And he had a, he still had a pretty huge game. Uh, they shot forty six percent from the three point range. So for for a team like Miami that was giving up what was it twenty seven percent before the game uh, on three point attempts, uh, that's pretty drastic. They were really shooting very well. Drew Holiday had four or five field goals. Um, you know, it, it was it was an impressive showing from the perimeter there. And I, again, I don't think it was anything 
that Miami was doing wrong. Uh, maybe they didn't have that same kind of energy and focus, but um, I think the Pelicans were just playing loose. Uh, they didn't have any kind of, they didn't have nothing to lose uh, when this kind of roster. They know that anything that they achieve is, is uh, you know, a cherry on top. So um, it was a, a strong effort from them. And ultimately, again, Miami came out uh, victorious. So that's all that matters. Uh, Kendrick Nunn was probably the story of the game for Miami. He finished with 22 points and 10 and 19 shooting. He looked really solid, aggressive. Um, I showed a picture or tweeted a, a video of him three hours before tip-off. I mean, five o'clock. And he's out there with Coach Anthony Carter, you know, just working on everything. And that, that's that's impressive. That's, that's the kind of work ethic you expect. Um, I know a lot of these things are, are planned and, and timed and everything else like that. But three hours, that's still, he's working through the whole system. You know, step backs, floaters, uh, you know, solid, just straight three-pointers. And, and he just, he looked good. And he was aggressive against the Pelicans. And interestingly enough, I asked Coach Alvin Gentry from New Orleans about a different Heat player. And he changed his response almost immediately. He said, that, that player's fine. But the guy who's really playing hard is Kendrick Nunn. This was pregame uh, before you know, Nunn dropped 22 points on the Pelicans. So uh, if anything, it shows that I think Nunn is really on everybody's radar around the league. Like he is not necessarily just a quiet secret. One, he's a good story in the sense that he's just somebody nobody expected to have these kind of scoring bunches, bursts. And, and the fact that he is doing it as aggressively, that he's playing the way he is, is starting to, you know, everybody's starting to take notice around the league. So uh, he was clearly a New Orleans scouting report. They knew what they were doing. They knew Gentry and his coaching staff knew exactly what to expect from none. And he couldn't, they couldn't stop him anyway. Maybe that was because of the injured roster, but what have you, uh, either way, none had a big game. Um, the other player who had a really big game was Bam Adebayo, 18 points on 8 of 11 shooting. Uh, he finished with 13 overall rebounds, four assists, two steals, three blocks, just two turnovers. Really solid effort from him, and uh, he, he looked really, really good. Um, just and continues to be an all-around monster. I, I, I mean, he, he was the player that I asked Gentry about, and, and Gentry, you know, one-on-one, I asked him later on afterwards about about uh, after he had delivered the response to none to the media scrum, I asked him later on separately about out of bio, you know, just to clarify. And, and he, he did mention that Bam is a really, really good player. He did talk about Bam. It's just, it kind of flies a little bit under the radar, strangely enough. So, uh, and, and that's just Bam's game. He's just going to quietly impact it. He's not going to have these gaudy, you know, huge nights of 40-plus scoring or anything like that. And the rebounding, as nice a statistic as it is, it doesn't really pop out much. I mean, he'd have to have, like, you know, Dwight Howard numbers from in the early 2000s or late 2000s. Uh, you know, to, he had to have to pull down, like, 20 boards in order for people to go, huh, he's really rebounding at a pretty high rate. 13 boards is great, but it's not necessarily going to bring the kind of attention that you'd think it would. Either way, it doesn't matter. He has a great overall game. He just fits well, and he does everything. He unlocks so much of what Miami does because you know he, he is such a good passer. And uh, I had a chance to speak with him uh, before the game during shoot-around, and, and he was just he, he's aware of how he's been able to unlock a lot of this team's offense. And he's, he's done a lot of work to get to this point. And uh, I'm happy for him because he's been so productive. And he, I think he's starting to get a lot more quiet recognition around the league. Uh, as far as Jimmy Butler, you know, how can you not talk about him? His shot wasn't falling. Uh, he was questionable during shoot around as far as illness is concerned. It, it did not seem like he might be able to play. Uh, Goran Dragic was listed as questionable as well at, during shoot around. And then once pregame rolled around, Eric Spolter delivered one of the, the shortest press conferences in NBA history, probably about 30 seconds. He just said, Jimmy's going to be available. He's going to play. Goran's going to be out. 
and everybody else that I said was out earlier today is still out. And he walked off as we were all uh, idiotically trying to tweet out this information. Uh, he just took advantage of it and walked off the stage. So that was pretty impressive work from him. But uh, Jimmy was also impressive against New Orleans. You know, again, a good all-around game, 13 assists. I don't think you can ignore his playmaking ability. It's been such a surprising factor, always an underrated aspect of his game, whether it was in Minnesota, Chicago, and of course in Philadelphia. But uh, it, I think it's taken another level here. So I wonder how he's viewed around the league because of his playmaking ability. You know, if if they recognize like we do that he can be a little passive at times by choice, that he can be more aggressive as a scorer, but that he's trying to engage everybody else. I, I wonder the narratives surrounding Jimmy are so complex that I wonder if everybody sees him creating plays for others and says, oh, he's he's not putting up the kind of numbers that he should in order to get MVP consideration. I strongly disagree with that. I think he's been great. I know a lot of players, you know, around the league. We, we had this conversation. Wes Goldberg, my former Heat co-host, uh, and I talked about this uh, last night unlocked an NBA as far as potential MVP candidates. And, you know, obviously James Harden's there. Giannis Antetokounmpo's there. LeBron. I think Anthony Davis might be getting some consideration. Kawhi, despite his load management and limited playing time. And Luka Doncic in uh, in Dallas after a career high, 42 points, where he also had a triple-double. I think a lot of people start to see him as a you know one of the top 10 players in the league and, and a guy who's certainly worthy of MVP consideration. But they're not winning nearly as much. He's also slightly one-dimensional in that his defense is pretty not good. Uh, Jimmy is not that kind of player. He's an overall passer. He's not that kind of scorer, though. He doesn't have that kind of flashy step back three. He just makes really solid plays for everybody else. And uh, he also plays really good defense. He also had three steals against the Pelicans. And so you have to wonder, you know, when it comes to MVP voting, what what do they put stock in? Is it a, being a two-way player? Is it being a good offensive player? I'd say it's a former, or, I'm sorry, it's, it's the latter. Um, we saw with Russell Westbrook, it didn't matter how bad he is on defense. And let me clarify for people who thought he was good defensively at any point in his career, he was not. Uh, he's always been a, a sieve defensively, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but offensively, he's been pretty solid. And of course, he had his his triple double stats a couple of years ago, and that led to his MVP win. Um, but Jimmy is not that kind of player. He's not putting up those kind of numbers, uh, and so. Uh, you know, I, to me, I think he's still considered. I sh- he should be considered at the very least a top ten player in the league this season, and and, and that might find uh, a lot of people might find that surprising, considering he's not averaging twenty five points per game or that he's not averaging uh, huge gaudy numbers. And I think it's all about overall impact. He could average those. He just is choosing to improve this team in other ways and to to unlock their team uh, offensively by by creating place for others. And so I I think that's um that's noteworthy. Uh, one other point before I move on, great overall team chemistry. I, I just have to say, despite the bumps uh, during the season, uh, it was you know the Dion situation, James situation, everything that's happened with his team. I really, I really do think that there's a very good chemistry in that locker room. Like the guys are busting each other's chops, they're cracking jokes. Everybody seems to like each other. Um, I think Myers Leonard is probably a underrated part of that. Uh, he is non-stop he's loud he's boisterous he kind of just breaks everybody out of their funk I, I think uh, in today's NBA locker rooms if you talk to a lot of older reporters one of the things that and older players uh, guys are on their phones all the time they don't really talk and communicate the way they used to you know even post game they're just there they're sending out whatever texts or tweets or DMs or whatever uh, and they're not really communicating the way they should Myers is just loudly yelling at people um, 
Jimmy is doing something similarly, and I think that's that's fun because it kind of it relieves a lot of the tension. These guys do have tense lives, despite the money they make and everything else. They're traveling all the time. They're away from their families, wives, girlfriends, and uh, you know, kids, and, and and it's it can wear on you. Um, and so it's fun to see them interact with each other as friendly and loosely as I did uh, over the weekend. And so that was that was fun. But let's move on to our next segment where I'll answer some of your questions. You're listening to Locked On Heat. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'll be answering the questions you all sent in using the hashtag AskLOHeat in this segment. So let's start with this one from Billy from Cleveland who asks, So we're only 15% through the season, but Miami is 9-3, or roughly the equivalent of 61-21 if we took that percentage through 82 games. How close to that record do you think we can actually get? So Billy theorizing that based on our 9-3 start, we would finish if we continue winning at this rate with a record of 61-21. and 21. Uh, That's... That's one of the best records in Heat history uh, and largely something I don't think is possible. Like there so much has to break right. And, and we've I don't say that we've gotten lucky because I, I think Miami has done everything possible to to play their hardest, to show a new identity from what they were last year, uh, to continue to to show the chemistry I, I hinted at in the first segment and, and other things that have kept this team from falling apart. They've shot really well, but even. You know, even uh, uh, against New Orleans, you can see that you know, the shooting is not something they can rely on all the time. They have to find another dimension uh, offensively, and uh, I, I just don't, I don't see it being as sustainable. That's not to say this is going to be a bad team or a bad record or they're going to miss the playoffs or anything like that. I think nine and three is very indicative of what this team is. They play very good defense. They keep other teams from shooting the three pretty regularly. They did not against New Orleans. Uh, but they have a good versatility, a good mix uh, offensively and defensively, I think, as well. They have a, lot, a number of players who can do things defensively, who can make uh, things difficult for opponents. And, and I think all these factors make for a pretty good team. They've been very fun to watch over the first few games, but they've also been really good you know, as a team. They've been, they're one of the teams that a lot of people are taking notice of around the league. So to me, uh, I, I think there'll be a, you know well over 500. I, I I would have to say I'm a little surprised at the start. I would not have thought nine and three, and, and maybe even as close as eight and two. They I mean they were right in there for a number of games. Only the Lakers and Nuggets were true blowouts there. Um, but a nine and three start is pretty good. Um, 
I, I, you know, I originally said that they would be close to 50 wins. And I'll go just above that. I'll, I'll change my, my prediction to somewhere around 52 wins, which is still really, really good and should be enough for top four in the Eastern Conference. So that's where I'll stand, uh, at least for now. And, and we'll see if they were able to maintain this pace and maybe even exceed it. Our next question comes from Johan Nunez, who writes, Do you think this rookie class is more promising than the Winslow Josh Richardson one? Um, the rookie class being Kendrick Nunn, uh, obviously Tyler Hero, and of course KZ Opala, who has yet to play because he's been well, he's been in and out for of the active lineup. Uh, he's had a couple minutes here and there, but he's had a sore Achilles, which I don't think is a long term problem or anything like that. He just hasn't really played much, so I think that's part of the issue as far as comparing the 2000 what was it 2015 rookie class with Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson is that uh, you, you don't know. You don't know what you're getting out of Okpala. Okpala could be a really good player. He, he, from everything we've heard, and people around the team have talked about, he has incredible defensive versatility. He has the length, the size, the athleticism to be a, a long-term project. He could be a better version of Derek Jones Jr. because he's thicker, sturdier, and also, uh, you know, more capable. At least at this point in his career, he doesn't have the same kind of a pogo-like jump to him, but at the same time, he has a, a versatile skill set offensively and defensively, and he just needs to kind of tie it all together. It's taken Derek a long time just to be a marginal NBA player, and I hate to say that, but that's the reality. Uh, he is slightly limited in what he can do. He's not the, the kind of... It's still great. I mean, a marginal NBA player is, is still an NBA player that will whoop anybody's butt out there on the courts, but at the same time, um, you know, he, he's not a huge impact player. Nobody's looking at Derrick Jones Jr. and saying, well, that's the guy who's going to beat us on, 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 during an X game. But either way, as far as Apollo is concerned, he's been a non-factor, so we're not sure what we're getting out from him. Uh, but as far as what none and Hero can provide, you know, I think you look at, at Josh and, and Justice, and uh, when you look at today's NBA, they're they're perfectly suited for it. They're, they're multi-dimensional players that can attack the rim, that can shoot from the perimeter, at least just as could last season and the year before that, and is probably still going to be capable of doing that later this season. Um, they're both really high-end defenders. They're playmakers. Obviously, they're great passers. And uh, they're, they're versatile defensively, and they're versatile offensively. And when you look at the league, this is where it's trending. Uh, guys that have this kind of, and, and, you know, you, you, the league recently changed the rules so that all players had to be remeasured without shoes so that they could be accurately listed as far as their heights and weights are concerned. And, you know, a number of guys, including Bam, that a lot of people thought were taller or was probably listed at like 6'11". They're not, they were actually about 6'8", 6'9". Um, and so when you look at Justice and Josh and, and the fact that they're, you know, they're not 6'7", they're not 6'8", but they're still versatile tweeners that can they can play a number of positions. They can play the point. They can play the two, the three, uh, the four, even in, in some occasions. And, and that's the kind of versatility that you're looking for around the league. And, and I think it's a, a huge commodity. You know, I, I just don't know what you're getting out of Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn long term. Um, you know, the the Kendrick situation has been. Difficult to predict. Nobody saw this coming. I don't care what you say. Uh, nobody saw this impact being had over the first 12 games of the season. Uh, and, and how it plays out over the rest of his career is very, very difficult. So I'm not sure. Right now, I, I don't think it's uh, a, I don't think it's clear at all. I, I mean, I don't think there's any kind of a consideration uh, at all as far as which class is more impactful. And that's Justice and Josh Richardson. Uh, Long term. Maybe if none and Hero put up some really gaudy numbers, make a few All Star teams, but you know so much has to change. Like how how is it that what's the path for Tyler Hero to get to the the All Star game? I mean, does he have to put 
up 26 points per game. Can he be one of the leading scorers in the NBA? That seems unlikely. So I just, I don't see it. Flyway 2 asks, should we be worried about Justice Winslow still being out? Sean asks a follow-up question. When is Justice supposed to be back in the lineup? So um, as of now, I'm recording this on a Tuesday. Miami next plays the Cavaliers on Wednesday, and Justice is already listed as out. To Fly Wade's original question, should we be worried that Winslow is still being out? Yes, we should be worried because he's a human being experiencing a great deal of pain, and um, he's, he's clearly not at a high level or a productive enough level where they feel safe and comfortable letting him out there. I think part of the problem is also that Miami might be a little gun-shy about forcing him out there, given the fact that they did play him for the whole game after he received the original concussion from uh, colliding with Paul Millsap. Uh, they might have jeopardized, you know, his health long term if if something tragic had happened. Luckily, nothing did. Uh, but now they're being very cautious, and and the team's still winning and playing at a high level. And I'm not so sure that there's a comfortable role for Justice to fit back into. So he's going to be out for a while longer. Uh, following the Wednesday game, their next game is Friday uh, on the road against the Chicago Bulls before they travel to Philadelphia for a much anticipated matchup with the 76ers on Saturday. So I would imagine that Winslow is back for that doubleheader. If not, well, that just makes sense. If he's not back for Friday, then he's going to sit out the doubleheader, and then he's going to be there whenever their game following that doubleheader is. So um, I think they're just being cautious. I, I wouldn't worry about it too much as far as a long-term prognosis or a prognosis or anything like that. I think he's going to be fine. Um, and, and, you know, again, we've seen him. I saw him in the, the back hallways around the locker room he's smiling joking at somebody and he seems to be okay uh the heat were out in the community for you know giving away things for thanksgiving and food and things of that sort and celebrating the upcoming holiday and uh, justice was there playing games with kids and, and smiling and, and looking happy and active and everything else so i think they're just being a little cautious and, and i wouldn't worry about it too much uh so you know hopefully he'll be back soon and hopefully he'll be able to slip into, I'm not sure if he fits in as a starter or reserve player at this point, and hopefully he'll adjust one way or the other. Coming up next, I'll discuss some theoretical trade options in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Use your basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes at mybookie.ag, where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA and MyBookie will match 50% of your first deposit. Listening on the go? If you can't visit MyBookie right now, you can find this and all other offers from the Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.
Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. Faris Akeem asks, if you could make one trade for this team, who would you ship out and bring in? That's a tough one. Um, I, I don't know that I'd ship out anybody. I think the obvious answer is Dion, just because I don't think he's going to get a, a fair opportunity in Miami. Uh, whether you see it that way or not, uh, that's that's a lot uh, up to you. But I just don't think he's going to be a factor for Miami moving forward. And I, I don't think he's, I think his tenure with the team is probably at an end one way or the other. So he seems to be the most likely option. As far as who I'd bring in, I think, um, you know, we've seen it's a, a very good mix with this team. You know, they have a lot of depth. Uh, you know, the fact that they you have Jimmy Butler playing the, the three and, and making plays for others, you know, that you have Kendrick Nunn scoring the way that you do. Uh, this is a, a very talented group here. You've got the Bam Myers Leonard front court. Uh, it works. It, it works pretty well. And, and and so, you know, Duncan Robinson also contributing. I, I should mention, he, he scored 15 points against the New Orleans Pelicans, and he's, he's looked great. He, he's providing what you want. I, I think, you know, we you have concerns because how long can this be sustainable? How long can Duncan Robinson put up these kinds of points? How long can Kendrick Nunn put up these kinds of, of points? Uh, and, and you're not sure. But at the same time, are you willing to trade a young affordable player who who has done all the work and is contributing at a high level in order to acquire a superstar well i mean if if you're following ferris's line of thinking and you can make one trade for this team um i I think that that's clear what you would do and i still think as good as kendrick has been I, i think bringing in a player like bradley beal that plays defense at a higher level that is a more established name who's going to get to the line a lot more than Kendrick Nunn, who is a better shooter, I think, than Kendrick is. He's the one that makes the most sense. But from everything we're seeing, he's happy in Washington, even if they're not winning. And he's committed to that team. I'm not sure how realistic that is. I'm not sure if that can change overnight. But for now, it seems like he wants to stay with the Wizards. So we'll see how that plays out. Beal, I think, is the one player that I would make the trade for as soon as possible. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. Again, this is removing salaries, removing any kind of consideration. If you could ship out in a perfect world, Dion Waiters for Bradley Beal, I think you would do it. Again, not because of salaries or anything like that. If you had to match salaries or if you had to match players and things of that sort, a Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters in a first-round pick trade for Bradley Beal probably makes sense. Our next question comes from Sim City Flip, who asks, Salaries match. Joe Ingles is struggling because of logjam. That's uh, lo- Joe Ingles of the Utah Jazz. Miami would get another shooter that is a proven playmaker. Utah needs a scoring punch. Might be good for Dion. Thoughts? Well, let's see. Joe Ingles is a fine player. Uh, he's, he has struggled a little bit this season. He also signed a four-year deal for $52 million in 2017, around the same time Dion did. But he also signed a one-year extension for $14 million. So his deal does not expire until after the 21-22 season. No player option, no team option. He's got a full extension there. So I think if you look at what Miami's trying to do, they're they're looking ahead to the year 2021 where they'll have Dion's salary off the books, where James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk's salaries will be off the books. And that's when you can make a run at a Giannis Antetokounmpo or other players. So I don't think that you'd want to get a player like Joe as much of a factor as he might be, as much of a contributor as he might be, um, given the fact that he's going to have that kind of salary in the books for that 21-22 season. So uh, to me, 
uh, I wouldn't make the, the trade. I like Joe as a player. I like him off the court as well. He's funny. He's he's uh, always interesting to talk to. Um, he's a good passer, solid overall defender, kind of guy that I think Heat fans would love because he gets in everybody's face. He's annoying. Uh, if you're playing against him, you know he's he challenges you. He doesn't mind. Uh, you know, he doesn't mind being aggressive and physical and things of that sort. You know things that that Heat players and Heat fans love to see. Uh, but at the same time, he's not that kind of superstar athlete. I think he'll be happy to admit the fact that he's balding. He's got a little bit of a punch. I think he kind of plays it up a little bit. But the reality is that he does not look the type, uh, you know, as far as an NBA caliber player is concerned. But he's definitely worthy of being out there. He's a great shooter. He's just struggled a little bit. He's reduced to a six-man role now. Uh, I just don't see the reason why Miami do it. I don't think Utah would do it either. I think Joe adds another dimension to that team than what Dion would provide. And Dion would not start because they've already got Donovan Mitchell there, uh, who is a high usage ball handler who scores inefficiently and has much more upside, I think, at this point than Dion Waiters does. So to me, I, I just don't see any reason why that trade would happen. So it's a good suggestion. I just don't think it's realistic for both teams. Our final question comes from Chris Leach, who asks, do you think that Drew Holiday would make sense to the to Jimmy Butler? Yes, I do. Uh, I was going to go into more of it, but that's just, if you don't know Drew Holiday, I think he makes perfect sense. He is a great player. Uh, he's an incredible defender, good shooter, very good playmaker. He could play the one, the one, two. Uh, he, he'd be, he would make that backcourt the best in the NBA, I think, between, maybe you could obviously give the consideration to when they're fully healthy, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. But a, a Drew Holiday and Jimmy Butler pairing would be phenomenal. And I think it would propel Miami into slightly more considerable title consideration. Like, I just don't think that you would say right off the bat that they're going to be a title contender, but they're they're going to be closer than they were without Drew Holiday. But the problem is that he's also signed to a long-term deal. In 2017, he signed a five-year, $127 million deal. He's going to get paid a lot of money over the next couple of seasons, again, probably taking him out of Miami's plans. Uh, that's not to say that if things fall apart in 2021, or not to fall apart, let's say they're not able to sign a Adetokounmpo or an Oladipo or any of the other marquee players available at some point, I, I could see them revisiting a Drew Holiday trade, see how he fares, how he's able to adjust to playing alongside Zion Williamson and the rest of that roster. And if that's the case, you make a trade for an older Holiday, I'd say, why not make that take that chance and, and put him uh, alongside Jimmy and have a really good defensive backport that can score in bunches, that can make plays for each other and for other teammates. It would be really fun to watch. But yes, Chris, they're absolutely it would absolutely be a, a great pairing between those two players. And I'd love to see it happen if salaries weren't a consideration. The Heat are back on the floor Wednesday night when they host the Cleveland Cavaliers yet again, who they faced last week. So check back here for my recap after that game. But that's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLLHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Vermill signing off and thanking you as always for your support. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.